Welcome to the Spire Director's Commentary Podcast, recorded by Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. Following our successful Kickstarter campaign, we agreed to record commentary for each chapter of the Spire RPG, a fantasy punk game about insurrection, oppression, and horror, and release it to our backers. We wanted to talk about the decisions that led us to design Spire the way we did and show our working as best as possible. What you are about to listen to is a podcast made up of those files, arranged into blocks an hour or so long. We encourage you to start from episode one and move forward from there. In this episode, we cover the book's introduction, the base elements of the setting, the core mechanics that power the game, and the skills and domain system. Christopher. Grant. Talk to me about equipment. So equipment is an odd an odd duck in Spire. Yes. Um, originally, what we, one of the design tenets was that we wanted it to work around resource management. Yes. Um, not like an RTS game level of resource management, but that you've got to think a lot about what you... But like, like, like funding the revolution. Yeah. So the weapons kind of fell into the background a little bit. Um, mm-hmm as we were looking mainly as at the resource of having weapons yeah rather than the resource of what weapons you have chris do you remember do you remember the brilliant system we had around we didn't have ranks of damage we just had we had a description of what the weapon did to you yes so we had like like a knife did kill yep and it was and like what a knife does was a tool that allowed you to kill and it was up to you to put more damage on that and roll better like we never really got anywhere with it I still think that system's interesting and it it, was, it, it can it, be used. It was really interesting, and also we had like penetrate, so like yeah. a, a, so a weapon which has the penetrate tag could knock through armor. But then we ended up having sort of like penetrate, penetrate, kill, kill, for a high damage penetrating weapon, and it kind of it rather got away from us, I think. Yes, but I really like the legs, idea. But yeah, I, I love the idea of having like a sword has the words kill and parry. Yep. That's that's that, like rather than saying it does d six damage and it's all about your own. Me- anyway, carry on. Sorry, <laughs> <coughs> we'll come back to that. I think that was iteration seven. Yeah, of six hundred. Um, yeah. but then we kind of realised that you know what people like fun weapons. Mm, we like fun weapons. We like fun weapons. M- me especially. Likes, yeah, everybody likes fun weapons. <clears throat> so we came up with the tag system. Hmm. And created ourselves some interesting weapons. And yeah. I love the tag system for building weapons. Yeah. I um, love it. It's it's extrapolated from lessons learned from Apocalypse World. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we don't quite work in quite such a narrative way as Apocalypse World does, but there's, so you can certainly see the, um, the roots of it. And I think, like... One thing which we struggle to do, like it's fairly easy to come up with descriptions for weapons because you tend to get quite granular with that. But yeah. it's it's fairly difficult to come up with a, with this, with with equipment for anything else, um, other than it lets you do the thing, because you tend to have you tend to have more detailed rules for combat. You tend to have more detailed rules around that, and also like just as a role playing designer, I'm used to that. So I'm used to thinking in those ways, and we really struggle to come up with like how do we make interesting rules for a, a, a horse and cart, for example. Yeah. Not, that, not that there are many in Spire, but like, or a um, uh, perfume. And so we really struggled for that. And 
once you start doing that, you end up sort of having to write down the entire world. Yes. And that can be quite difficult. And so, like, we had we had levels of items initially. So, um, those of you who read the Blood and Dust um, preview uh, adventure will see that we've changed that system now. Um, the, I think the idea was that if it was a, if, if it was a higher level than you, you rolled with one difficulty, and if you were a higher level than it, you rolled with plus one dice. I think that was it was along those lines, but it just felt a bit. It felt a bit gamey. It felt very heavy in a system that didn't feel heavy everywhere else. Yeah, it, it, it felt it felt strapped on, and like it kind of did the thing in that I quite like that we had levels of equipment, and so you could say, well, like this is level four equipment, so it's shit hot. Yeah. And we've like either we've saved up and got that, or we found it, or we like we got it for, or we took it off someone's corpse, or we've been given it by uh, you know yeah, a bit of a benevolent um, patron. But it just didn't quite ring. And the game, is, also the game, is very much not about equipment. No. Um, and so the, we have a very simple rule in that you just describe what you've got, um, and if it matters to you. Um, then you get to roll with mastery um, when you do the thing that it's good at, and so it's more of a conversation between you and the GM. Yeah. And yeah, it's not like it's the thing is like you can actually use those rules for weapons. We say in the book, um, we say in the book, weapons and armor have slightly more complex rules detailed below. However, if you don't want to get too in depth on combat, you can certainly use the above rules for weapons too. So you could certainly have. Um, I have a pistol which is very accurate but very loud. Yeah. And you can you can run it very story game from yeah, that angle. Um, but we like tags, and I love writing big books of weapons because I grew up, I grew up on I grew up on Warhammer. I grew up on Dark Heresy. I grew up on bestiaries and equipment um, books, and I get a bit excited, especially when an equipment book. Uh, there is a Dark Heresy uh, splat book called the Inquisitor's Handbook, which was the second thing that um, Black Library released before it got taken off. And, um, and that is just, it's mainly just a list of equipment, uh, a book of equipment, but all of it, all of it like refers to a certain world or a certain cult or a certain social element of the game. And that was, that really fascinates me because it's not just like here, here is rules for a bow. It's here is rules for this bow from this culture, from this world. <laughs> and here's why it's interesting. Really drills down into the specific. Yeah. Um, and and it's and like it, and it, it's it's still fairly dry, but it explains that through the mechanics of the game in saying here is a weapon you can have that, and that's what you know shows you what's important. And Dark Heresy is actually a game about equipment, really. At the end of the day, and we're not. No. Um, what's your favourite tag, Christopher? I quite like scarring. Mm, in that it's only fiction. It's only fiction. Um, but if I have to pick a a specific. Uh, oh, that's, that's fine. No, you, no, you no, no to, to pick a specific like one with mechanical benefits, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bloodbound and conduit. Ah, yes, one which you um, you get more accurate with a weapon and therefore more hurty um, yeah. if you mark stress to either your blood or your mind. Yes, conduit's like nice. Yeah, I really like. Uh, I like double barreled. Obviously, just because it feels there's something quite charming about it. I think probably probably my favourite one is surprising. Um, um, so the rules for surprising are the first time you use this weapon in a situation roll with mastery so it means that you get a proper opener to things mm. like like surprising is a really weird weapon like we wrote a really weird tag we wrote it intending almost like a hidden blade or a concealed weapon yes um or like 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 the sort of like a um a sword cane 
oh, I didn't expect you to have a weapon there. And so we simulate that by having, um, once that element of surprise is over, then the weapon is just a use, uh, just, just, just a normal thing. But we've also got it on the, on the knight's lance. Yeah. And I really like that, because it's surprising in that you're not expecting some bastard to run at you on <laughs> foot with a lance. <laughs> and so it's like, it's, it's, it's like fighting someone who's never fought before, in that it's like you don't know how to read their language. Yes. In that way. So that's, that's kind of fun. I really like surprising. Um, one thing I'd actually like to mention as well, for a very long time we had a mechanic in the game called Control. Yes. So it was it was a core idea of the game was I wanted to have the combat system and also any sort of tense dangerous situation you were in whether it's like an argument or an infiltration or whatever it wasn't about just rolling the numbers and doing the thing but it was about how much control you had over the situation and if you think in terms of like um let's say uh, police breaking up a riot that sort of thing if they just run in and hit people, that's not going to work. What they need to do is is, is control. So like they, they, they cut off escape routes, they kettle people in, um, they get them into a state where they will calm down. Um, and that's, that's, that's kettling. You've also got things like um, uh, smoke grenades, you've got things like uh, water cannons. I'm sorry, I'm not espousing uh, riot breakers as, as, as a good thing, <laughs> but it is interesting to look at how you how you control that situation. Also things like um, how you control um, lines of sight and uh, cover and um, flanking routes. Yeah. And so we we wanted to have rather than... So it was, it was a bit less... It was more of a... It was a way... It was an attempt to recreate a tactical war game just through a number which went up and down. Yes. And it didn't quite work. No, it proved clumsy. We had about three iterations of it, and, I, and like the reason why I remembered it is because um, the uh, we used to have uh, spears had reach, and that was um, I think the rule was when you ha- when you have control, when your control is positive, inflict double damage. Yes, and because that that was implying that that, that you had them where you wanted them. Um, we also had things like uh, you could do things like um, take minus five control to do plus more to, to do plus damage when you had a big unwieldy weapon that sort of thing. Yeah, it was a it was a shifting scale kind of in the middle yeah. of the table. Yeah, it was one group or the other. Yeah, and it didn't quite function. I, and again, like I think there's I think there's legs there. I think there's something interesting to be had around that because yeah. I really like the idea of control, but I hate the idea of actually having to model that in a non-abstract form. Yeah, and it just doesn't fit with Spire. No, and like it did when it was more of an espionage game. Yes. Oh, yeah. But now, sure. yeah, now it's much more story focused. Um, yeah, that's equipment. Um, yeah, I mean, we, if you look at the, if you look at the, the table on the last page, you can see the huge quantities of guns and armor <laughs> in the game. Yeah, and like, the whole point of it is that you build your own. Yeah, and also like where we've got them attached to NPCs. Yeah. is the other thing. And I guess it lets us release a splat book with weapons later on. <laughs> it does. Um, but you can see that like a lot of things don't do a high amount of stress. No. And that's because um. you don't need to do a high amount of stress to cause fallout. No, and also like the like if if the average person who is not um, who is not trained in combat, he's not he's not a, an, an agent of the of the um, ministry, probably has about three stress points before they just fuck off. Yeah. Or before they. Die or before before they're out of the story that like you just have to influence them that much and then they're, and then they're out of the story um, and like honestly rolling like rolling big numbers isn't super useful for most of the game no um, you're much better off getting equipment which gives you mastery in other ways or letting you um, or like having having skills which boost equipment is much better than having equipment which boosts skills 
Yeah, and one I thing think. I found during playtesting is a lot of people <clears throat> grow quite attached to the weapons they already have. Yeah, for sure. And that, that, I think that was something which we really wanted to, to explore and play around with, was like, even though you're growing in power, we wanted to try and keep the same um, the same trope, the same contacts, and, and the same equipment that you had com- coming up once you hit the top. Yeah. Um, because because when, you, when, you, when you've got a greatsword... A great sword is a great sword. Yes, yeah. there's there's no real magic guns. It's great, so you might as well have a great sword. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things which kind of bothers me about D and D rules as written is the way that there's kind of a um, a rotating um, cycle of equipment which just goes through. When you get a better X, you upgrade to it. Yeah, and you essentially and like, throw the old one away. Like that. That really works in. Um, in computer games, because it gives you more visual interest, it gives you more mechanics, it gives you a draw to come back in, and I really like that. But in in a game where we're where we're telling stories about the same group of people, and it's a there's a togetherness and a platform thing, I really want basically I want everyone to have a trusty knife, as it were. Yes, you know, or a named sword, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe not a named gun because that's creepy. It's a bit. Though I mean, there's a, there's a subculture of people who actually do that. In the yeah, game. I mean, like if if you want to join the Church of the Gun, you have to name your gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's equipment. Yeah, I think that brings. So 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 next up, we have bonds, and right. I'll, we'll put a break in there, and then we'll talk about bonds. All right. Welcome to bonds. We used to call these assets. Yes, because people are the things. People are things. Um, one, one of the biggest tropes we wanted to talk about in the game was what if you start treating people like things? Um, and we ended up as more of, a, um, more of a fictional concern than a mechanical concern, but Bond is where it survived. Um, we also had assets. like Assets were things like um, safe houses and equipment and yep. um, money was an asset. And we wanted to have people as things, and, and the idea is that you're pushing all of these into the revolution, and what comes out, oh, at some point, you know, your espionage campaign, and at some point, treating people as things has negative ramifications, at least for them. Yeah. But that that fell by the wayside, and we, we, were str- we streamlined, and we, we worked out what sort of stories you wanted to tell. It was very bookkeeping. It was hugely bookkeeping, my God, yeah. And just not. Oh, oh, what was it? We had. um, They had their own skill list. Yep. Bonds had. I think it was something like thirty or forty skills, which which you would assign to a bond, and then they could do the thing, which was a really lovely means of saying what. A a bit like um, in the last uh, chapter when we're saying how like knives had kill. One of like we had um, was it uh, berry. Is one of the keywords in, in, the, in, the, in the like in that they can bury corpses or eat corpses or just like get rid of stuff. Mm, infiltrate, guard, uh, scry, investigate, that sort of thing. And we, one of the problems which I find, uh, the more details you put in a game, you end up saying no more commonly than you say yes. Yes. 100%. And, yeah. And so, and like, you've got a GM, you've got access to the to a very powerful computer in terms of running games in that you have someone's brain and they can think on the fly and they can and they can make their own judgments in that they don't in that humans don't need rules we can have guidelines and that is you, you can you can entrust a lot up to the gm rather than saying oh no you can't do that 
So like, was like, oh, I really want to talk to my guy about uh, to, 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 to see if he knows anyone in in his area. Oh, no, he, he doesn't have the know anyone in his area skill. Whereas so, well, can go, yeah, yeah, yeah I reckon you yeah. might that. Yeah, why not? And like, and like, and like, oh well, you know, he doesn't talk to a lot of people, so I'm 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 going to say like he doesn't roll because this is his skill. This isn't his area of expertise. But he get he but he but he so he rolls plus one d ten because it's in their neighborhood. Go, yeah, and you roll the dice. And uh, bonds, as you mentioned in the stress chaps, they just work like normal stresses. They work like resistances. Yeah. And that means that they accrue stress, and eventually they end up dying. Um, because <laughs> yeah, because no one refreshes the bond, the the, um, the stress off their bonds. No, Everyone, they, like, they can do it. What was that? They always forget they can do it, and also they're really busy, and they're generally bleeding to death. Yeah. <laughs> so like they've got their own shit going on, and actually, I think it's like. I'm actually kind of glad for that because what a bond is, it's a place to put free stress. Yeah. In that you ask them to go and do it and they do it uh, in downtime off camera and then that problem's solved. Mm. Well, the thing for me that that really (coughs) excites me about bonds Mm. is it's our version of magic items. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You earn bonds by what you do in the game. You Mm. start off with a couple. Yeah. But when you you, you you befriend um... the, the local blood witch... You, mm. can, you can earn her as a bond. Yeah. And now you've just expanded both your repertoire and you've given yourself more places to dump stress into. Yeah, the team's repertoire as well. Yep. Uh, you can ask them to do things and generally, like, the rule we've got is, like, they will do things for you, but they'll be bad at it and they'll take more damage if it's dangerous or they're not good at it. Yeah. And that and and so it it more leaves it up to the player. Like, how much do you how much do you want to hurt them? Like, what what what's the risk reward on this one? Uh, the other thing about bonds I should note is that it's possible to have um, PC bonds, which you will have noticed if you've had a, if you play through Blood and Dust. Um, you have um, at the start of a game, each character has a bond with another with another PC, and then when you help out a character you have a bond with, you you roll with mastery once per scene. I'll be honest with you, that rule is largely boring and only there to justify giving them the bond because those <laughs> because those bonds are brilliant yeah. having players establish those because it lets you establish a fact about another npc but one that reflects on you so let's say for example the uh the lejan um uh background is you helped someone deal with illness or addiction say what and how you helped yeah um, the um, the idle one is um, you or like so the Missian sage is you know a secret about someone um, say who what the secret is and whether they know you know the idol says that um, you know someone has fallen for you and so it just lets you it just lets you, it gives you these little character spikes which you set up and like I've seen people I've heard of uh, groups spend their entire session zero just hashing those out yeah because it's fun. It is fun, and it just sort of like it takes pressure off off the off the off the table to do things in media res. You can just throw around ideas, and then it lets you establish those connections, and then and then those connections come and play out afterwards. And it's um, it's just a really nice way um, of doing that. I think you know they, we've uh, the idea. It's not a new idea. Um, they're very. Uh, it's uh, I think most famously done in Dungeon World, in that you have a connection with another player, but. Most of those are, I think this about them, yes. or I have done this for them, rather than they think this about me. Yeah, and so it doesn't build bridges. People. Yeah, and I think that um, that as well, like right off the bat, um, one thing which Chris and I quite enjoy in role playing games is when there's a distance between the character and the player. Yes, 
And so that it, once you put in that distance, it encourages players to scene frame, it encourages them to put their characters in trouble, which makes more exciting stories. Uh, like, fuck it, why not? Let's, 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 let's go and do the dangerous thing, because it sounds like an interesting story, rather than, mm, I think my character would do that. Because um, it's more interesting, um, and like you know, there's, there's there's a level of trust in there, and a level of control. But I think by like if the first thing you do in the game after you pick your powers and you pick your endurance, um, you pick your class, is you establish something about another player character, and there's that we have that basic that little intrusion into in, into your character's headspace, and just say you don't get full control over your character. Um, sometimes things are going to happen, which you are unlike. And like, you can always say, "Oh, actually, I'm not comfortable with that." And I think that's true of any of anything that happens in any role playing game. You know, yeah, yeah always. Um, if you're repeatedly uncomfortable, don't play the game anymore. That sort of thing. Um, but having that established right off the bat means that people are then perhaps a little bit ready for it later on when we when we do things like um, when you pick up the tired Fallout. Uh, from 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 from, from uh, blood stress and miss something, or when you pick the lie fallout in reputation and have to tell a lie. It also um, sets up the players being able to inform the GM of certain things mm. in a sort of. I think I might know somebody from that district because I've yeah. come there from a backstory. Yeah, they're more ready to say that because yeah. they've already said, "Well, you've fallen in love with me because of this reason." Yeah. And I think quite nicely as well. It lets the uh, the we wanted classes to have uh, spotlight time, and yeah. that's, that's just, which is why I think I think every class has a once per once per session do a thing, and it's like it, generally pretty powerful or pretty useful. Or in the knight's case, you just find a bar, but it's still kind of fun. <laughs> um, like it's 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 all it, like just, it, it lets you have spotlight, and I think the the bond system lets you do that spotlight before the game starts. It lets you. It, it sort of lets you teach the other players when you're discussing it and say, "Hey, this is what I do. I help people. Hey, this is what I do. I drink. <laughs> this is my thing." Yeah. Hey, um, I set up deals. That sort of thing, and it just it, it gives you a almost like a little um, mechanic free tutorial for mm. what your character's about. Yeah. And we'll end it there. We will. So, we are now getting on to the bit which Chris and I like most, which is characters. The chunky, meaty bit. Chunky, juicy, chunks in wonderful gravy. I My favourite bit of the player's handbook in Dungeons & Dragons is reading through, the, uh, reading through the classes and seeing, and like imagining what I could do with these classes. Yeah. Um, Pathfinder does it really well, actually, I will say. I'm not a huge fan of Pathfinder systemically. But I really like the way you have your base character, and then as you grow up through that, you've got various different um, paths and routes you can take to add more details, and you've got talents you can pick, and so you can have your own character in that way. And it's... For someone who reads as many role-playing books as I do, I find it tremendously good fun to just imagine things that could happen. <laughs> yeah, considering you'll literally never have enough time to play them all. No, certainly it's not, it's not physically possible. So, let's talk about advancing. It says how to advance a character. Okay. This, um, I think we talked about in a previous example, this, this turned up quite late. This was a playtester who came up with this mechanic. Mm-hmm. And we certainly mentioned it in the book, I forget whether we mentioned it earlier in this, in this podcast, in this show. Um, 
it's it, it comes out of change. It was, so it was a it was a woman called Lisa Trott, one of the playtesters who came up with this idea. And up until then, we were just sort of doing it ad hoc, like when the GM decides you level up, you level up. Yeah, because we've, um, we've sort of always played D and D in that way. Yeah, rather than tracking every experience point, we've we've done it like, well, you finish an adventure, that'll do one level. Yeah, well, and you also the big thing that'll do another. And like World of Darkness, um, for the other sort of, I suppose, like the base game which which I grew up playing, or at least I um I, I cut my teeth on. It's very much up to the GM. Um, in terms of like how many points you're assigned for role playing well and for finishing an arc or finishing a story or and it's like well I'm used to the GM handing out that advancement but um, I think that we wanted something a bit more mecha- a bit more concrete in this and this 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 feels interesting. It also means that you're going to change Spire. Like Spire yeah. is going to get different. Whether for the is, better or not is yeah. entirely up to you, but. Which is quite challenging. Yeah. In a way. Especially, like, we wrote a book with that in mind. And the idea is that we wrote this book, and then the idea is players are going to come along and fuck it up. <laughs> Just poop all over it. Yeah. Which is great, because it makes yeah, it, it nice, you know? <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's certainly different. And I think that um, it, it almost sort of. It does mean that sometimes advancement comes as, as a surprise. Yes. people because they're like oh I didn't realize that that, that that was so important and I think that um one of the one of the ways you can say is to talk to people about their aims and then discuss what kind of advances that would bring yeah um as you play so, so, sort of to, to 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 tease that reward for them as it were I think um, one of my favorite way of giving out advances is to use it as as a confusion tactic <laughs> go on so what you want to do is after the players um, are just let's let's say the players have done something to piss somebody off mm-hmm. um, at the end that, that that's that's that doesn't sound like a an advancement point mm-hmm. just like they've just annoyed somebody yeah. but at the end of the session you say cool and you'll get an advancement for changing spire yeah why well, well, you'll you've find done out. something you've done something <laughs> this session that has provoked major change within spire yeah and then they so go, oh, "God, what have we done?" Yeah, that's fun. Like you, you just you, you just play them the ominous music. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's like the classic um, trope of the GM just starts laughing. Yeah, or, or rolling dice behind a screen with no yeah. particular uh, it, aim in mind. It's that, but they get yeah. a reward. Yeah, I can dig it. That's that's kind of fun, actually. It's, it's, it's nice to just go to, to watch them go. What did we do that last session? Mm. What did we? What have we done that's kicked off a chain of events that's mm. promoted change? Yeah, and they then they look a little bit a little bit closer at what's been happening. It's very <laughs> interesting. That's nice. Um, we've got Durance up, which is a again a fairly late thing to come into the game. Yeah. Um, like so, the concept of Durance has existed for many years. Um, and, sorry, for many uh, iterations. The idea that um, you serve a, a Durance or a period of unpa- unpaid work for your high elf masters. We settled on four years because that lets you play young characters. Yeah. Um, who are also free agents. That means that you're not all currently um, unpaid servants, or I suppose... Slaves is a difficult word, and we We do have that. a box out about Yeah, that. we discussed that. Like, durance is not slavery. Um, durance is short-term slavery. Um, slavery still exists. Yes. Um, and we... It just didn't quite feel... We didn't feel comfortable telling that story. 
Um, so we wanted, so like slavery is a thing that exists in this as it does in pretty much every fantasy setting and also the real world. Yeah, and it's awful. Um, and it's awful, and we don't like it. And I think that if you wanted to lead into it, you could easily have your Elphia um, enslaved drive for longer and have it as more of a um, more of a d- full uh, full lifetime dominion. As it were, yeah. But I think we wanted to give people a bit more of a free um, license to dick about. Yeah, it's a lot and, harder yeah. to to play the game. Yeah, in that, in that in that system, because there's no freedom of uh, information travel. Yeah, there's no freedom of movement. Uh, you have to justify everything to your masters, and if you no longer have a master, but you're very pissed off with them, then it puts you in an excellent position to rebel. Yeah. And so the Jurances are what you did for your Elphia Lord uh, while they employed you, and so we we, we did a few drafts of these. Um, Quite a few, yeah, we, we moved through, but the one of the things about our characters is because it's a class-based system, you don't end up with a great deal of variety between starting characters. And like certainly, like they tell their own stories and they pick up their own advances, but. Uh, starting as a right, you have a limited number of options that you can pick uh, mechanically. You can certainly, um, you're, you're, uh, when you create a character, you're entitled to two low advances, and that's it as far as your character advances go, and then you pick up other things as you go. And so they can feel similar um, having two Azerites, but if you have one Azerite who was an information broker and one Azerite who was a killer, that's a very different story. Yeah, it completely changes the paradigm you're looking at the class through. Yeah. And I think my favourite thing is to pick a completely contrasting Durance for a character. Yeah, if you want to make a killer, don't pick the killer Durance. Yeah. Um, or, like, or like for example, um, put the killer Durance on a masked character. Mm. Don't put killer on a, uh, on a knight or a, or a bound character. People who are already doing that. Um, at that point, then, like, cause that doesn't, that isn't like, oh, that's interesting. It, 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 it's like, oh, that's, that seems like a natural progression. I can see why you got to that. So I like having a surprise. Also, it broadens out your character, which is nice. Yes. And I mean, um, my favorite, my favorite Durance is the most boring one. Which one's that? Laborer. Laborer. Plus two blood resist. Mm, it's so yeah. juicy. Tough as nails. Just, just rock hard because you've constantly worked in the enormous factories mm. or the garden district. Mm. But anything in, in my book, anything that gives me resist, yeah. is amazing. Chris really likes numbers. I'm, I'm a big fan of numbers. Chris loves a number, so that that plus two blood there and resist <laughs> is really juicy for him. Yeah, stick um, that stick that on a blood witch or a midwife. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing as well. So like, blood witches are spending um, blood to well, they're, they're marking stress against blood to cast. So having a labor of blood witch, just strictly mechanically, that's a really good thing to have. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing we've got as well here is we've got um, non-durance durances. Yes, the, at the if end. you didn't, if you haven't done a durance. Yeah, and these are these are less detailed, but we also like we didn't want everyone to have to, to, like, to tell the same story. So if you want to have you know fled um, uh, and uh, fled the the call when the durance uh, when the when the guard come around and collect young drive for durance, then you can do that. Um, we've got things like joined a cult or two. Uh, spent your time in jail, helped the ministry wage the war. So if you want, you can just double down and be a minister. Uh, as like as like you've been in it for life, you were born into it in some way. Yeah. Um, there are there are lots of fun things you can do, 
uh, around this. And I think these are like the um, in Blood and Dust, the Idol had um, fell in with a gang of thieves as her as her durance, and it lends a really nice twist to her. Yeah, uh, because it, it gives you these these skills that are just completely yeah. disparate. Yeah, and it's like, hey, come on, out of the way, I can do this. What? Which, which, yeah, which, which come as, which come as a surprise, which I really like because, like, uh, seeing as she, seeing as she fell in with a gang of thieves, she can do things like um, sneak into places rather than just having to idle her way in, <laughs> which is really nice, and it, yeah. it, it gives you that little, it, it, it gives it gives you a little twist at the start. Um, I think my favourite one is Hunter. Because it has the word minarets in it. Uh, so many instances of the word minarets. You, well, no, okay. I, I keep writing it and you keep shooting it down and that's fine. Okay. I understand. But I really love the phrase minarets. And I love the idea you hunted wild beasts around the minarets of the upper spire. And just sort of like... It doesn't say whether they're flying or not. It's just imagining like leaping <laughs> off and strangling a boar. That sort of thing. But also this is another one of those little hooks that we drop in all over the place. We don't mention the wild beasts around the minarets in the upper spire. No, I guess I mean like like we mentioned that there's birds, and we mentioned that there's hyenas, but not that there's like something worth hunting. Yeah, I guess there's uh, pheasants. Maybe. Yeah. But the point is, it's up to you. Yeah. And there's always there's there's all these little hooks all the way through. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. We are we are now uh, we are going to move on to the classes next. So we are going to have we are going to end this section, and then we'll deal with the azurite. As you're right. Hello, welcome back, and welcome to Azerite. This is the first of the classes. It begins with A, so we put it at the top. Yeah, we're good like that. We're good like that. The Azerite, uh, the name of the Azerite is solely there because it sounds cool. <laughs> Uh, initially they were just traders we just mm. had them as traders or like money people and it wasn't really doing much and they weren't really selling anything and I was like what if they wore blue and that's that's kind of the we're fundamental like, nature we're like yes core concept of class brilliant wear blue I love it like it doesn't make a lot of sense can I just say as well I love the golden nose on Eddie's drawing or on Eddie's drawing mm. it's so absolutely nice absolutely beautiful um, obviously um, Adrian Stone is our artist who did all the art through the book uh, the, the copy we're looking at doesn't have all the final pieces in yet, but I, am, I, I will try and discuss them as and when uh, mm. they come up. Uh, but yes, lovely golden nose. Um, I like how, and, and also just how swathed the Azerite is. Yeah. So the Azerite is one of the is an interesting class to start on mm. because it's it doesn't really have a slot in the generic. RPG class system. No, like Bard, I guess, maybe. But even yeah, it's Bard closer doesn't to have Bard. a slot. <laughs> like, you don't really want a Bard in your party, mm. either. But you, you you are literally a merchant. Yeah. That and is like, your class. You're a trader. You're a wizard. Yes. You're, you're... One of the things about Spire is that a lot of things are bound up in religion. Yes. You're, um, you're a cleric. Yeah, and this is a cleric of commerce. <laughs> Yeah, not 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 like strictly money or gold, but commerce. It's about trading. Mm. Um, so we've got. I will say, I'm very happy that what that, that some of the standard equipment for the Azerite is girdles. <laughs> Three sets of beautiful girdles. But they also like they, they're the only class you can have a bodyguard, and like we we just sort of kind of snuck this rule in. Like it doesn't quite gel with the rest of the system, but it's such a lovely image. 
yeah. that I've never been comfortable about taking it out of the game. It's it's really lovely to have like just someone who does all that for you while you do the talking. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like having a Bond person who fights. Yeah, pretty much. But you um, take all the fallout, not them. Yeah, and we, we represent the fact that you can't just use them all day by giving them the tiring ability. So, like, they sort of get tired and give up. Or, like, they, they value their own lives, as it were. Yeah. I mean, you can always pick up another weapon and do it yourself. Yeah, and, like, if anyone's set to buy a weapon, it's the Azerite. Yes. Um, Being able to just set up a deal anywhere. Yeah. I want to buy your gun that you're pointing at me right now. Okay, <laughs> I guess so. I mean, give us a tenner. Yeah. Um, the... Yes, the Azerite's been knocking around for a wee while. Um, we, I, I was really struggling with what to do with them. I remember I, uh, I, 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 if I ever felt particularly confused about a class, I would take the class to the pub. Mm. And I would go and sit down with my notebook in the pub with a pint and try and work out what the fuck we were supposed to do with them. And when we got... Um, so what we had initially, um, the Azerite was a... Was a trader, and they could, if they wanted, get access to the spells of Azur. We used to have all the spells listed separately from the classes. Yes, we used to have a proper proper old school spell list. Um, and like they were still like done per god or per occult school, and then what you would do is advances in your class would give you accesses to those spell lists. But it was a kind of a dead level, so we didn't like that very much. Yeah, we didn't like those levels. Yeah, and also it meant it was quite boring to read the classes. So we just ended up sinking the class. We ended up sinking the spells directly in and offering up multi-classing instead. That seemed like the easiest way to do it. Yep. And most now of the spells, most of the abilities in the game are divine. They are, or I'd say, at least half. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they yeah. they come from worship of a god or a concept, and the Azerites are one of them. They, I think, like my favorite. My favorite thing about them is that they can buy stuff that isn't physical objects. They can buy concepts, essentially. They can buy concepts. So, like, 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 uh, you can buy um, a domain, you can buy a language, you can buy a skill, you can buy friends. Um, the high level advance is buy some time in that you in that you travel back in time a minute, um, and then you have to. But if you stop your if you travel back in time and then stop yourself from casting by some time, you both start taking enormous amounts of stress until one of you dies, <laughs> which I like. Yeah, and like the other high-level ability, buy anything. Yes, buy anything is interesting because it's a heal spell. Yeah, pretty much you can. Like, you, you can, can buy, buy you can buy stress. stress marks off people. Mm. And the uh, and, and like the the the, the fun part of buy anything is um, you can you can set it up so it, it goes on a contingency, mm. and that is, and that lets you basically make deals with every, with anyone for anything. And that's really useful and fun to to, like, to to set up. Like, if you do this, I will sell you this. Yeah. And that it it, it positions them also as a middleman, which they are. You know, they're a trader. They're a merchant. They don't make things. They move things. But they're they're interestingly very in sync with the theme of Spire in that it's about gaining something and then coming out on top. Yeah, that's how they refresh as well. We should actually br- briefly talk about refreshing. Yes. Um, so refresh, uh, refresh is the most powerful way you have to, uh, to remove stress. 
um, you can remove stress by laying low, as we call it, and that sort of and that means that you you exclude yourself from scenes, or you say that you're not doing anything for a while, and the plot moves ahead without you. But that lets you just sort of recover either your reputation, uh, accrue more money for silver, wait until the heat dies down for shadow, physically heal the blood, that sort of thing. Um, you can take actions which which regenerate your which which clear stress off you. So uh, let's say, for example, you want to go and um, Repair your reputation by going and uh, re- uh, volunteering in the um, in the local soup kitchens, or doing something useful for someone who's a figurehead in the community, that sort of thing. But refresh lets you specific uh, lets you clear any stress from, from 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 any kind of resistance you've got it logged up in, just by doing what your character does, doing what your class does. Yeah, by reinforcing that theme once again. Yeah, um, and it's it's a pretty basic um, push pull mechanic, really. Uh, but the refresh there's a right is carry out a deal that benefits you more than it does the other party, and that is, the, the, if your if your Azerite isn't doing that at least once per session, they're they're they're, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they missed the memo on that one. Yeah, I mean when you've when you've got the core ability cut a deal, so that once per session you can set up a meet a meet with an NPC who can acquire you pretty much anything. Yeah, you've got no excuse not to not yeah. to trade up. And that and that makes sense. Uh, and like their um, the, the other um, once per situation, pick an NPC that you can observe for a while. The GM will tell you what they want most of all right now. That's just a really useful thing to be able to set up future scenes. Yeah, a lot of the stuff we've had around like the once per session, sorry, uh, once per situation stuff when you intuit stuff, it lets you know, but doesn't tell you a how to act on it or give you any proof. Yes. Which is really Which is, interesting with some yeah. with some people's core abilities. Yeah, so like the like the city guard ability is like you know what crime they're guilty of, but you have no proof. And um, like the the other thing as well is when we wrote these uh, intuitive information about an NPC or about a situation, at no point did we want the GM to say, "Oh, they haven't committed a crime; they're not guilty." It's like, no, now they've committed a crime. Make it up. You got yeah. you got about five seconds yeah. to make it. Yeah. Up. Now they want something. What's, what do they want most of all? And that's just that lets you sort of insert your. Um, if you give the characters as a crowbar, it's the, this is you inserting them into the plot. Yeah, I like Azerites. They they tend to come off as a bit mercenary, which makes sense for the God of Gold. And so, like, I think there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a rub back, a rub back sort of phrase, <laughs> a little bit of a um, juxtaposition. With the ideals of the ministry, the ministry is fairly selfless and nihilistic, and these guys are very much out for themselves to get money. But you can you can futz with them and be like, "Well, actually, any money I get is there for the ministry's money." Yeah, and, and so I'm prepared to give everything. And also, like a freer, <laughs> more open market. Yeah, definitely. is is better for an Azure, even if they are playing the selfish angle. Mm. That's fine. Mm. I think my I think my favorite Azurite ability is. Um, the one where you buy skills for other, like, and uh, you can buy them with you can buy them for other people. Yeah, um, and that means that like the Azerite, like uh, we had an Azerite in a in a playtest I was playing, and it was really nice because before before a difficult scene, the Azerite would the Azerite would sit the person down and say, "Okay, what do you need?" Oh, I'd really like the ability to like to to climb walls. One second, mate, and just went off and bought it. <laughs> I think and I granted it to them. I think I like on the toss of a coin. <laughs> Oh, that's just, that makes everything fifty-fifty. Makes every, makes whatever you do a, a, a coin flip. Yeah. Either either like heads it goes really well or tails it goes really badly. Yeah. 
but you can boil everything down to a flip of a coin if you want to yeah and i I like the idea of going up against like your big nemesis and then just going well we've done all this prep we've done all this shit it's not working it's not working yeah yeah fuck it flips a coin just 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 like like you get rushed by the paladins it's like okay i'm going to blind them I ha- like I've got a fifty-fifty chance each time I cross the, uh, the toss this coin of getting out of this fine. Yeah, but it, g- it gives you like it gives you a superpower which has a huge risk attached to it. It's so that's beautiful. Fun. Let's move on. Let's move on. So next up, we have the bound. The bound are a a order of vigilantes, a sort of Batman. <laughs> Bats, batsman, batsman. I like batsman. Batsman, um, who patrol Perch, which is one of my favourite districts. Perch is uh, an area. Uh, it's kind of a shanty town. It's near the top of the spire. I think it's underneath um, New Heaven. And the the idea is that it's been nailed on and bolted on and tied on to the side of spire, and bits of it keep dropping off. Like it's really horrible. Uh, like like it's not dank like derelictus is. No, and it's mean, not. It's, it's airy. And, it's yeah. not crimey like uh, like Red Row is, but it falls off a lot more than any other low society place. Yeah, and uh, there's there's very few there's very little permanence in Perch. Yeah, which is where which is where one of the things that the bound works off. Mm. So we were we got a suggestion from um, Mary. One of our, uh, our business partner and wife partner in my case, and she and like we were chatting about other religions that we wanted to explore and sort of draw on to look into religions inspired because we've got some fairly, I guess like some fairly Catholic vibes going throughout a lot of our a lot of our religion. Yeah, and so we're interested in drawing. So like I suppose like like Catholic via voodoo, which is kind of where voodoo voodoo is via Catholicism anyway. But point is. Um, we were interested in Shinto as a religion and exploring that and the idea that gods, there are small gods that live in the things. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you've always been interested in the idea of genius loci as well. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really interesting. And one of the really early <coughs> things we did with um, the Bound is we'd actually named the gods. Had we? We had. I found this document. Um, but the the gods were, were, were down to blade, rope, bottle... Yes, that was it. Yeah, I remember now. Uh, and there were two others, and I can't remember. They were they were specific things that had gods in them. Yeah. Um, and we we kind of kept that. You'll you'll notice through the through the powers. Like there's a lot of stuff that interacts with bottles, ropes, and knives. Mm. Uh, and there were two others, armor. And another one. Um, like like matches, cigarettes. Oh, and flame. Flame. Yeah. Yeah. And so we wanted, like, we, we wanted to try and like bring down the like the idea of the band is that they've got everything they have on them. Yes, like they're carrying around their lives and, because like, there's, because there's no permanence in in perch. Yeah. What you have on you is of utmost importance because your house could just fall into the ether. Yeah, and so there's like that sort of self sufficiency is fun, but also like drawing power from their items and having like a lot of it is. A lot of the powers that the Bound has are quite, in Mage the, Awak- Mage the Awakening terms, coincidental. Mm, yes. Like, it's very rare that they are doing outright miracles. Like, like you, they'll, you, they'll start falling and their armour will catch them? Yeah. Um, or like, uh, let's say, for example, um, 
The state of binding. Your rope god dances and twists for you. Your rope animates as if of its own accord, tripping your enemies. Like you could, like you could just be pretty tricky with your wrist, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and you that's, know how to use a lasso. Yeah, and that's that's fairly interesting. Um, you will also note that they have the coolest named named powers in the game. <laughs> Secret saints and gods. <laughs> we um, I, I forget like how far we'd gotten through before we before we decided on that. But the idea that there's almost like like every every bound is his or her or their own cult. Mm. That they're, like they're understanding their own mysteries and going through. Um, the other thing as well, um, they have a they have a bound blade, so they have a a god which they've trapped in the blade. And I think the idea is that everything else, the gods are naturally occurring. Yes. Like if you have a rope and you take care of it, there will be a god in that rope, and like the almost like the god finds it or the rope generates its own god. Whatever you treat it well and it treats you well. For the blade, you found a different god and pushed it in there because it was more powerful than the, the one that was already living in it. And that was something which we sort of just sort of happened organically, really. Yeah, but I wanted, to, I wanted to give them a bit of an edge. And it's nice because you've got one, one of the things about Bound is they're in control. Mm. They're 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 very much a control class. Go on. Um, if you look, they've got the ability to blend into to scenery, mm-hmm. to essentially stealth. Mm-hmm. They can lock doors. They can control. Um, they can unlock doors. They can unlock doors. Uh, they can move pretty much anywhere when you get up to high level abilities. Uh, yeah, Got a perk, was... you can walk on any solid surface that is flat ground. The thing that I think my, one of my favourite powers from them is the Saint of Ways. In that, um, when you wear your gloves, gloves was another one. When you wear your gloves and try to open the door, that door is unlocked and unbarred. It just is. It just it like it just is, and that's and that's that for me is I think like it's very unflashy, but actually now locks don't exist to you. Yeah. That's a fascinating, and it doesn't work on chests. It doesn't work on you know um, bureaus <laughs> or um, windows. But um, I know windows are fine. But um, just like anything which allows physical access, yeah, you you can just get in now. And so like it's quite, it just lets you appear. Yeah, but which like, I should know is also their their once possession power. Yes, but coming from this this place of control. Mm. You've got the the god blades, the bound blades. Yeah, that's true. Which are barely restrained mm. and almost almost scary. Yeah, um, like it goes all the way up to the god of slaughter, which is the furious god in your blade is barely restrained and grows more powerful with each new sacrifice. Mm. Like everything is... else is is like you've always got a cigarette, <laughs> and this is like you've got a knife that you that wants to kill. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. If you inflict blood stress with your blade on a mortal target, you kill them. And it just it uh, bypasses most of the combat rules. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, the, uh, the, uh, we had that in, in a fight test, and it was at, at that point all the bound had to do was get past armor. Yes. And then he got to describe whatever horrendous thing he did. That I mean, that's it. that's the joy of high abilities. There. Mm. They're so far up the chain that you don't you don't really play like a whole campaign with a high ability. No. There's something sort of downhill finale about them. Yes, like when you start getting high abilities, you suddenly realise, hang on, I'm going to have to use these because they mm. matter. Yeah, and then and like and, and also very few of the high level abilities. Are, oh, great! I'm really glad I had to use this. Yeah, it, it's generally like, brutal and nasty. They all they all come with most of them come with horrendous costs, um, or are 
anyway, it's 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 it's. I really like the band. I think like I think like we didn't we didn't really know what we were doing with them, and then we hit playtest, and we started to actually feel that we'd done something really interesting. Yeah, people seem to latch onto the band quite quickly. Yeah, which I find and interesting. They're quite good. They're quite a good way of having weirdos in the game as well. Yeah, but like with the previous one we discussed, the Azurite. Mm. That's that's for a certain kind of mindset. Yeah, that's for the mastermind. Mm. You know, for the for the manoeuvrer. Yeah, the bound is for a different kind of person. A rogue. A rogue. Uh, a rogue who likes demonology, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But like it can go combat, it can it can go social in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's there's definitely some social stuff, um, like in, in in the early levels, like and then you sort of become more and more dangerous and weird. Yeah, and I, um, I like that we've provided those different avenues for those different brain types. Yes, definitely. Let's move on. Let's move on. So next up we have fan favourite class, <laughs> the Carrion Priest, who is a, they used to be called the Muashim Alphas. Yes. Um, and that was back, and so that they, they worshipped, uh, they, they were the Muashim, who were a sect which worshipped the god of Charnel, and we sort of hit the point where we realised that every other class was, if not instantly understandable, at least pronounceable. Yes. And Muashim Alpha just didn't feel like a thing. Like, Azerite feels like a thing. And Muashim Alpha didn't. And so we changed the name to Carrion Priest. And that also meant that I got to give them a load of stupid new abilities, like turning into birds and summoning birds. Yep. But they are, they are, they're fun. They are, I think, like, more so than the, tri- the two classes we discussed previously, they are a product of the society. And I'd like you to talk about that, Christopher. <laughs> yeah, so... New Heaven is a kind of split in its worship of death cults. Mm-hmm. You've got the morticians on one hand. Who are like Catholic priests. Who worship but, Meror. But, but Morgoth. Which is the god of death. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Carrion priests who follow Charnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a more bestial religion. Mm. Um, and they've... In, released so their sacred beast hyenas into New Heaven so that they're a, a natural species. Mm, well. Well, so that, so that now they are, essentially. Yes. yes they, <laughs> they've started breeding. And by in, by having that central um, division, it was, it was something which sort of let us think about the different sects available in Spire. And they, so it's like the morticians are more about defeating death or controlling death. And the Carrion priests are more about embracing death Accept- and accepting it, accepting it, honouring it, and like you know both both are valid. But the morticians, like one of the first classes that I wrote up, actually was a mortician. And we wrote it down; it's pretty cool. They felt a bit like um, witch hunters, a bit like inquisitor, almost. Um, we made it all happen, and it was like but these these are the guys in charge. Mm. Like they they were the state effectively, and they didn't feel very satisfying to play them. I can definitely see like I can definitely see their rules cropping up in a later uh, later uh, source book. Sure, but, but they didn't they didn't feel core. No, and also we couldn't have a group with a carrion priest and mortician in it. Yeah, which is felt just a bit, annoying. Yeah, and so we we set them off to one side. We uh, we took out their powers and shuffled them amongst the other classes, and. We kept the carrion priest because the carrion priest gets a fucking hyena. He does. Just, just quickly, you're saying that we shuffled the powers out to the other 
classes. Classes. We have a document <laughs> that is just cast off bits that we've yeah. cut out of all the other classes, just waiting, just it's, waiting for a new thing. It's our bits box, as it were, of of of, uh, of spells and abilities, and they're yeah. organised. They're organised by level, whether that's low, medium, or high, and they're just ready to go in there. And like, we've used it in a couple of times. We have occasions, just a little yeah. tweak, and then it's in. Yeah, and it's, you know, nothing gets thrown out aside from the previous fifteen editions, <laughs> which were trashed, <laughs> absolute trash. They are, they are. Um, the, the, so the Karen priests are a little bit bestial, and they're they they're, they're all a little bit weird. Yeah, um, but I wanted to have them as. I want uh, one of the interesting things about the Karen priests is how they do really weird shit. <laughs> um, so, like, um, if actually we're not on the really weird shit, I want to talk about the um, like the normal stuff they've got here. Um, one of their low level abilities called Dead Flesh gives them plus two rep, and also they can they can undecay rotted or spoiled food. They can make food safe to eat. And one of the things when I was starting out writing this, um, I wanted all of the low-level abilities to... If it was if it was like a divine spell, I wanted them to, to arise from day-to-day worship of the of the deity. Like, I wanted them to be, like, weaponized um, existing rotes rather than this is a spell which the cleric has blessed you with, uh, which, which your god has blessed you with. It's more, well, actually, um, uh, let's say the, the right of... Uh, the right of shadowed sanctuary um, is a um, is a ministry spell, and that lets you stop anyone from leaving a room by marking it with um, spire black, basically slapping ink all over the walls. And I like the way that that's also one of their ways of sanctifying a prayer space. Mm. And so, dead flesh is really important to them, to the Charnelites, because they don't have a lot of money, they don't have a lot of food, and so having someone who can make your food good is a really important thing. And so you have that rep. Yeah, it makes them up. important in their community. Yeah, I will also say that having the ability to, to have plus two rep is so useful for just having powers that don't have much in-game effect. <laughs> yeah. Like the knight's rowboat. Yeah, because uh, being able to soak things in rep is so powerful. Like, it, it, again, it depends how you play your class. You know, if, if, if you... if but, but you can... You can ask anyone to do anything. And, you know, whether or not they'll do it is up to them and the dice you throw, but you might as well take hits to rep because all you're going to do is get embarrassed and kicked out rather than have your leg chewed off. Yeah, that's very true. Which is especially worrying if it's chewed off by a carrion priest. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so the carrion priest is, ironically, a bit of a hunter. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, I think, like, I like to think of them as sort of agents of charnel in that charnel, charnel never hunts. These people hunt and dedicate things to charnel. Yeah. Um, and also because just waiting until your character waiting until your enemy dies doesn't make for a really fun character class. No, no, um, as not. as the sniper fight in Metal Gear Solid Three proved. <laughs> <laughs> Little video game joke for you there. But there, there's some interesting powers in in the Carrion Priest. Mm. Um, under medium, you've got Ghost Speaker. Yeah. Now, you'll if you've been reading with us up to this point, you'll notice ghosts haven't really cropped up. No. And, this and they is a, don't really crop up ever again. <laughs> they don't really. Well, they do. There's certain districts that yeah that focus on them. Um, but it's interesting because what this does is this. If I take Ghost Speaker, it forms the DM mm-hmm. um, that I'm interested in this type of story. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting way of going about it. Like, look, this is what I'm interested in, guys. Can we maybe put some of this in? 
Yeah, and also, also like we informed that in mechanically by saying, in addition, once per session, you find a ghost and talk to them about the present situation. Yeah, so it gives you it control there as well. It, it gives you that that power, that 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 control. The uh, the hyena is kind of fun. Uh, we used to have the hyena as a separate character, and then we boiled them down to a series of tricks and buffs because they were just easier than running the numbers. Yeah, it was it, it was the most gamey part of the game. Yeah, I will also say I really like their uh, their. their um, when you enter a dangerous situation, power. Yes. So uh, it's, it's called Lay of the Land, and what you do, when you enter a dangerous situation, you can name up to three features or opportunities that your allies can take advantage of. And then it's, it's, it's then you get, you get to roll with mastery, you get to roll an extra d10 when you, when you use the thing the first time. But it means that when you go into a combat situation or a tense situation or something which you might have to shoot or fight your way out of, the carrier and priest are like, all right, and then they scan. And then it lets their player list list stuff about the uh, about the arena without having to actually play it out. Yeah, without having to draw a map. And that's that's again that's just that stuff we've tried to push over and like yeah. take some strain off the GM and put some responsibility back on players. Yeah, and again, make, make not just responsibility, but it makes them feel more involved. Yes, for sure. You know, more tied to the world. Mm. I will say, I think my favorite power from Carrion Priest is Toast Life. Because you get you get you get to eat the domains out of people. Yeah, because you permanently gain a domain if you eat someone with that domain. And I really like the idea of like the like the the carrion priest wanting to learn something. They're going and eating a scholar. I like the idea that it's they don't really want to. Yeah, it's it's up to the it's up to the individual. Yeah, and it's like so. it's like it's, it's when you eat the flesh of a recently dead creature, you don't have to eat the whole thing. No, but you have to eat some. Yeah. But that that works for me, and also like they they get into like they get into more as compared to the bound, um, like you know one of the last classes we talked about. They're much more obvious in their religion, in their spells. Yes, like they can turn into a crow. They can turn into a sort of half man, half hyena thing. They can summon weapons. Um, they can summon crows, which peck the shit out of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, eyes. eyes. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> still air. Yeah, yeah, but that's. Um, I really, I, I like how I like how spire they feel as well. They yeah. feel very spire. Um, and, and also, they've got, they've got a nice image as well because they live in New New Heaven, which is on top yeah. of spire. So they've yeah. got to wrap up against the sun. Yeah. Plus, they get plus their uh, their refugees. Is the other thing. Um, yeah. Like they are uh, rather than refugees from the home nations, they're refugees from Alakam to the south. Um, they are. Um, we haven't quite worked out why, but I like. I like to imagine that the the Duchess of Alakam drove them out for some reason. Yeah. Who knows? The Duchess of Alakam. Um, has she rides a big goat, and I've uh, I've named her many times and never really described her. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't couldn't go without having a goat in there. I've got to have goats everywhere. I can't wait till we get to the goats appendix. Oh God. Let's move on. The Spire Director's Commentary Podcast is a companion to the Spire RPG and features Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. The music is by Arokia, hosted on freesound.org and used under the Creative Commons license. To learn more about Spire, explore related products, or buy your own copy, go to rowanrookanddeckard.com. <laughs>